tell them about the, you had like different things going on each floor of the house the other day? Uh, oh, yeah. So when I get like really manic and excited about like doing work, um, I'll like, <laughs> I'll have like one project happening. Like in our, we live in the attic of my parents' house. Mm-hmm. So like I have something going on there. And then I'm like also like doing the dishes. And then I also have like something in the basement. And I'm just like sprinting in between floors. Like Holy I can do all this at once. Holy shit. We are so similar in that. <laughs> I'm always like, I'll be working on a song. And then I'll be working on the dishes and I'll also be trying to like write or draw something. There's always like three or four things happening. And Katie's typically just like, what are you doing? Like, I, yeah. I, have, a, like, I have a lot of nervous energy to get yeah. out. So I have to do it in all these different places of our apartment. Hello and welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Bideman. I am excited to bring you another episode of the podcast for daily disruptors and everyday educators. That is what what this podcast is all about and who who we who I like to feature. People who educate in unconventional and odd ways and musicians like today. I'm chatting with a musician. Uh, their name is Greg Nahabedian. Greg is the lead singer and multi-instrumentalist of the band Derif. Uh, the the band's new band instant or the band's new album Instantly Black The Goodness is out already. It just came out a couple weeks ago. We chat about the album, we chat about the band's uh, history a little bit. We talk about Greg's ridiculous history getting into the music industry. Like seriously, like 5 minutes into this chat, you're going to be like, "What the hell is going on?" And it's amazing. It's one of the most uh, chill conversations that I've had uh, so far in this, uh, making this podcast. We get into a lot of things. We get into a lot of stuff about queer culture. We get into DIY culture. And we get into really what it takes to kind of make a band successful in the 21st century uh, using social media, using communities, and exploring the world. Dariva has done four across the country tours already as a band and they've booked them all themselves as a band they've done it all themselves no labels no ad people all by themselves meeting people along the way staying connected building a community across the country and it's amazing you're gonna hear some really great stories um from greg throughout this episode But before we get to that, I just want to say thanks to folks who've been listening. I'm I'm really stoked. We have uh, just over 600 subscribers now, which I think is a super cool number. That's really awesome. I'm really glad to see folks uh, listening in and staying tuned in. That's really great. I did not expect anyone to listen to this, and now I have uh, 13 episodes for folks to listen to. It's super sweet. Um, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, uh, rate it, review it on iTunes. That'd be really sweet. Subscribe, uh, grab your friend's phone and subscribe for them. So they're like, Oh sweet. Uh, kick ass new podcast for me to listen to. All right, let's try this out. 
that's that's a fun way to lose friends. <laughs> but uh, realistically, I'm I'm really stoked, and I cannot wait to bring you a bunch of tunes from the new Dariv album. You're gonna hear that throughout the podcast. Everything you hear today on this podcast is from the new Dariv album. You're going to hear a lot of different sounds. You're going to hear some that are heavy and loud and some that are nice and soft and not so loud. That just really shows the dynamic uh, uh, creativity of this band and of Greg, um, who's the brain, master brain behind a lot of the music that Dariv makes. Uh, I don't want to dilly-dally much uh, much longer, so here we go. Here's my chat with Greg Nahabedian, the band Dariv. So I am sitting here with my friend Greg Nahabedian. Nahabedian? Nahabedian. I did it! I did it! Uh, we were just figuring out how to pronounce his last name. Mine's also hard to pronounce. I thought it was Bitumen forever. A lot of people think it's Bitumen. Literally until I listened to your podcast like last week. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I've been saying it wrong. <laughs> uh, it is vitamin, like vitamin. I get that. It's a weird last name throughout high school and middle school. My nickname was Vitamin C. So, <laughs> yep, as one would. That was a great nickname to get picked, uh, picked on with. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, how you doing today, Greg? I'm doing really good. Nice. Thanks, thanks for com- thanks for coming to my place. Thanks for le- allowing us. Um, I'm glad to have a soda. Yeah. Um, uh, fair warning that I'm probably gonna burp. <laughs> it, so. it would be a nice Rick take, <laughs> like yeah. random in the middle of a word. It would be great. Uh, no, Greg came down from New Hampshire. That's where y'all are staying these days. Yep. You and your yep. partner Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea's sitting here. As well, might chime in every now and again, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're just kind of like hanging out here in my apartment in Quincy, Massachusetts. So we're gonna chat with Greg today about uh, his life, music, DIY stuff, and I mean, I've known you for a few years now. I know a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell folks at home a little bit about you? Okay, uh, my my name is Greg Nahabedian. Uh, I live in New Hampshire. Um, I'm currently getting my master's degree in music composition from Boston Conservatory. Um, So I'm a composer of um, new classical music. I also play in a punk band from Western Mass called Derive. Um, Yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, I'm also a piano teacher. Yeah. Where did you do your undergrad? did my undergrad at Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. You're my second guest that did Hampshire. Oh, really? Yeah. Brittany Williams, my third... Fourth guest uh, went to Hampshire as well. Oh, cool! Yeah, uh, and did you, what did you do your degree in there? Because you can choose your own adventure there, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I I sort of formed like a traditional music composition uh, major for myself um, that culminated. So the the last year at Hampshire, you do um, you typically don't take classes. Um, and you spend your time working on like a big final project. It's kind of like the equivalent to a master's thesis. Hmm. Um, so I wrote, I called it a mellow log. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I remember that. So it's, yeah, it's a big spoken word piece uh, with a with a group of musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was about an hour long and it was based on the life of John Newton, who um, wrote Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. Dang. Uh, and for folks who uh, have not heard 
uh, any of the music Greg has made. We'll be playing some through this episode, and you can kind of hear the sheer like dynamic difference between the work that he makes. Because there's this mellow log that you made that's just like simply like beautiful, like it's it's like a it's like an affecting thing. And then there's derived music, which is also has the has elements, but it's also chaotic as hell. Which, like, yeah. that's something that is so interesting to me. How do you balance that? Um, well, oh, so we were talking about this the other day. Cause, um, so at my school now, we do these things called juries. So mm-hmm. if you're in, mu- in music school, at the end of every semester, um, you have to sit in front of your faculty. Um, if you're a performance major, you'll have to play for them and they'll kind of critique you. Um, for composition majors, they'll kind of ask you lots of questions about your work and kind of make you justify your choices. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions I've gotten both semesters that have been at that school is, um, what's the relationship between your band versus your composition? Mm-hmm. And my, my answer is always like, you know, like Dali, like made paintings and he made statues. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I, so I don't see a difference. Like it's all from me. It's just a different mode of communicating. Okay. Um, so sometimes, um, I have a musical idea that I know is going to work for a string quartet or for an orchestra or whatever it is. But other times it's like, this idea needs to be said, uh, like in a basement, yeah. um, you know, or like <sighs> it needs to be loud and wild, oh, you know, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel that. No, I get kind of the same thing. Cause I mean, I primarily do spoken word and then I add like instruments in sometimes, um, and it'll, uh, it kind of just depends on which, aspect of me i'm wanting to put out there so i get I, that, that makes a lot of sense to me when did you start tinkering around with music um well i started playing guitar <laughs> in first grade um kind of like my dad played guitar um is this the, acoustic or yeah just like like i was taking lessons um you know just like little like mary had a little lamb type stuff um and then uh let's see i um would kind of like play piano if i saw one just like fooling around started playing drums um i must have been nine or ten um primarily because i was like was and am a huge afi fan Mm -hmm. and i was convinced that if i got really good at drums they would just replace me (laughs) um so (laughs) um yeah and then um kind of like the deal with my parents was like it was always like we'll get you the instrument or whatever if you take lessons Mm -hmm. if you like really really work at it so they hooked me up with some with some drums, um, started taking lessons, joined school band, hmm. um, started my first punk band um, when I was 13. Hmm. Um, yeah, and then in high school was like very involved in marching band, jazz band, the whole thing. Dang, so you like really just started amassing more like once you got to high school? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I was playing solo shows, playing like guitar and piano. I was in, <clears throat> I was in two or three bands. Actually, at one point... Um, this might be a lot. I, I know it's an important story. Mm-hmm. Um, that at one point um, I was hired by the ex road manager of Aerosmith. Oh, okay. Um, Wasn't expecting this. Who was? He had discovered. I don't want to say the person's name, but he had discovered this local musician um, mm-hmm. in New Hampshire, and he was convinced that he could kind of like produce him into like the next Bon Jovi. Okay. Um, and uh, he met me because I was friends with his daughter. Okay. Um, and asked me if I would play drums. Um, so then I, I spent, um, I don't know, six or seven months kind of rehearsing with this band, trying to make a record, um, getting paid to rehearse. Yeah. Um, 
it was awesome. It was like a really cool, interesting job opportunity. It actually ended with me uh, meeting um, Stuart Dinky Dawson, who was um, one of the sound engineers for the Beatles. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and now he, I'm frankly not sure if he's still alive, uh, but at the time he was doing A&R for like Columbia. Okay. Um, and he gave me this offer to um, leave high school and be like a session guy. Okay. Um, Dang. Uh, so you were crushing it early on. <laughs> I think so. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I was also doing like, I was taking music theory classes. I was starting to like really dig into classical music and jazz. Um, but the the thing that really stuck with me with that, with that weird like studio rock band thing is that um, I was like really affected from like day one by like how non-music centric it was okay um so after one of our first practices um and this is in new hampshire which is super weird the the guy who was managing us or producing us or whatever he talks to me and he was like hey kiss just played in boston they're coming over my house um okay and he was like i i bought some coke i hired some prostitutes do you want to <laughs> hang out and I, holy crap yeah, yeah. what the hell <laughs> I was 16 or 17. I was very young. We are eight minutes into this conversation. <laughs> We've already gotten to coke and prostitutes. And kiss. This is an education <laughs> podcast and I'm so hyped right now. <laughs> so <laughs> That might be the coke talking. <laughs> um, Just for the record, we're two straight edge kids sitting in my living room right now. <laughs> Three straight edge kids. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, wait, I waited a little bit because I was like, I want to meet Kiss, but like, I, I don't want to do the other stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Kiss walked in, no, no makeup, like they, you know, they were, they were done, um, with the thing, but, uh, you know, um, our manager, um, I'm trying to avoid saying his name just cause I, I don't want to, uh, you know, um, he like introduced me to them. He's like, oh, hey, like, uh, what's his face? Gene Simmons. Like, this is Greg Nahabedian. And I'm like, hey, nice to meet you, I guess. Like, I literally know one Kiss song. <laughs> um. Uh, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> what, was that the whole night? Was that it? Oh yeah, I met them, and then they like some some ladies came over. Nice. Um, they pulled up the coke, and I was like, I'm out. Yeah. Was, this was a school night. Yeah. You How know? old were you? I was sixteen or seventeen. Sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, what, what I mean, what what really stuck with me about that whole experience was that all of the conversations were about like the image of the band. Mm. Um, it was never. There was never a ton of discussion about the music, okay. Um, w- which really bummed me out. And even like at this point, like there was no record deal. Mm-hmm. There was no. We played maybe like two or three gigs. You know, like nothing was going on. Um, we were just like rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing. Uh, and like we were pretty tight. It was mm-hmm. cool. Um, but what was was it music that you enjoyed playing? Oh uh, no. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. No. 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 I, I so was, this was a job. Yeah, it was a job, which I'm fine with. Like, you know, I get other jobs sometimes now, and I'm like, yeah, I want to play. Like, that's what musicians do. Like, mm-hmm. y- we don't have the luxury of just doing what we want to do. Yeah, you know? that's fair. Um, but, yeah, it made me really uncomfortable. And even at, at that point, like, there were talks of, like, yeah, we'll sell T-shirts for $20 and all this, all that shit. And I'm like, I just want people to hear the music, and, you know, I'm not really interested in putting up any barriers. Mm-hmm. Um so eventually that band kind of melted down and yeah, I got that offer from, 
from I think I must have been Columbia, um, and I was like, I I can't do this because mm-hmm. like I want to. I was really interested in learning things, and I was like, I don't want to get into this this scene because I feel like it's um, prohibitive mm-hmm. to, towards like actual it, performance. Also, seems like it would be a little more damaging on your like even potential as a musician. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, like they give you a contract for a year, and it's like, what happens after that? Like, I dropped out of school, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I said no and um, finished school and went to college. Dang, you know. So, I mean, and speaking of college and learning more, why did you go to college for music when, like, clearly you were already good at that? (laughs) Maybe just doing that on the side instead of doing, like, another, like, functional degree. Functional? That sounds disrespectful, but, like... No, I I understand. (laughs) Okay. Um, Music's not a real thing, (laughs) is what I'm saying. (laughs) Well, I mean, what... I w- I've always been, like, I was a really, really good student, like, going up through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always interested in just, like, learning and reading and, like, learning everything I could about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, music, like, when I think about, like, when I wake up, what do I want to do today? It's only music. Um, so I wanted to go to school to learn as much as I could. And actually, there I had, like, a couple teachers in high school who, like, really, like, instilled that idea in me of, like, you're not doing enough if you just read the book and like come to class, you know, like you, you need to learn everything you can read the author's biography, Mm -hmm. read essays about it. Um, reread lines over again, copy stuff down that you like about it. Like really, really think about the material. Um, and I was all, cause I'm like, I was literally a boy scout, but like also in, um, like concept, I'm like a serious, like if somebody tells me to do something, I'm like, yes, I'll do it right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, You know, um, so I have a similar bone like that in my body too. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. No, 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 I should. All right. <laughs> um, so I ended up going to Hampshire, which is a school that, um, you know, it's totally self-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's gonna like sit down and tell you like, Hey, you got to do this, buddy. It's you either do it or you're out, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and actually the motto of the school is to know is not enough, mm. which was like perfect. Cause oh. it, it was like, it was like, yeah, I don't want to just like be able to recite facts like, I want to know this stuff, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to teach it, and I want to be able to apply it, like, every day of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, yeah, that, that I mean, and it was really exciting to be in a school where I could study music, like, very intensely. And what's nice about, um, for people who don't know, in Western Mass, there are five big colleges. Yep. Um, it's called the Consortium, mm-hmm. um, and all the students can freely take classes at all five. Mm-hmm. Um, Which are Hampshire College, Mount Holyoke, Smith uh umass amherst and amherst in amherst college yeah. yeah and i went to umass amherst for graduate school which is where i met greg well i met you through the drummer of your band yeah. paul yeah um and because he was a student on my campus at the time and so uh that's kind of where our connection comes so this five college consortium was uh uh, very foreign to me when I moved out here, but I knew that a lot of students took classes at a lot of the different colleges. Did you like doing that? Oh yeah. I took more classes off campus than I did at Hampshire. Really? Yeah. Um, because I knew, cause I came from, I went, um, I went to high school in New Hampshire to this place called Pinkerton Academy, um, which is for all intents and purposes, kind of like a self-driven public school okay, uh, or private school rather, um, with like a public charter. Hmm. Um, and so I already had, like, this really great foundation for, like, what classes do you need to take to, like, be a good musician? Mm-hmm. And Hampshire, like, Hampshire's great. It's amazing. But it does not have those classes. Okay. 
Um, so I was like taking like theory at Amherst College. I was taking music history at UMass. Um, I took a lot of opera classes at Mount Holyoke, um, composition at Smith, and then I was in the ensembles at Hampshire. Jeez. Um, you took religion courses too, right? I took a lot of religion courses, yeah, at, uh, at Smith. Hmm. Um, Any particular reason? Just, um, just curious? Yeah, well, I was curious. I also, like, I was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, it had predict- predictably, uh, like, an awful experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt really unconnected to anything. Okay. Um, and in, um, I guess, the maybe, like, late high school, beginning of college, I discovered Sufism. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Which I, like, really fell in with um, and wanted to learn everything I could about Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was taking classes in that. Um, and really trying to like wrap my head around like everything I could and like figure out how I could apply it to all of my work. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I did a lot of that searching before college. I did a lot of it in high school and Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out like, I was questioning a lot of my faith and what I was brought up as and where that actually made sense for me. And like, it's kind of still an ongoing, like 15 year uh, challenge that I've put on myself and uh, it's I think it's like kind of an ongoing thing to develop your own like ideology and grabbing from different uh, from different sources from different uh, religions from different ways of life to just like develop your own morals your, your own ethics and your own way of life like from all of those different things I think is like one of the best ways to live and I found a yeah. lot of peace doing that than just living in one narrow focused point of view yeah i think um like responsible pluralism when -hmm. it comes to religion is really important um yeah i like i think a lot of the types of people who might be listening to this i have a lot of beef with like the idea of organized religion yeah um but that seems to become an issue when i talk to people like at shows or whatever and like it comes up that like I believe in a God mm-hmm. um, or like some sort of higher power. Mm-hmm. And they always go, yeah, but organized religion. And I'm like, I didn't say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that totally know. makes, that makes sense to me. Um, and it seems like through, honestly, a lot of the music that Derive at least puts out and even some of the, the work that you do with your, your, your solo projects and even some of the artistry that goes into it. There's a lot of like overtones uh, religious overtones that exist there yeah. so like it's not like you're hiding it <laughs> yeah no I, I make no effort to hide it yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it, and that's where like I'm, I'm really glad that one of your big influences is me without you because there's a lot of that comes that influenced my life growing up like the first time i heard a to b life and catch for us the foxes it just like i can be this intro- introspective about my faith what the fuck yeah really and still be okay as a person what (laughs) well i mean actually like i had already been getting into sufism and then um i heard uh the fourth me without your record it's all crazy Mm -hmm. which uh, which which is based on sufi children exactly yeah and then um one time when i saw them i think i i can't count how many times i've seen that band but um the first couple times i wasn't able to meet them but the first time i met aaron weiss Mm -hmm. um like we talked very very briefly and i was like hey i'm getting like really into this i know that you're like very devout um what should i do and he just wrote down a list of books for me um <laughs> that's the best the, that's the best gift someone gift someone can give you oh yeah and it it changed everything and what um 
what I really love about Sufism, and this is what I love about punk rock and education, um, is Sufism is in some sects is like very organized, but in most, um, it's kind of based on this idea of like, you create like your path with God and like your spiritual, your spirituality <laughs> is totally dependent on you. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's what I really love, love about punk rock because like, like there's nobody telling you to do it. You got to mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. If you want your band to be great, you have to make your band mm-hmm. great. If you want like the art to be great, you have to make the art great. Mm-hmm. And same with like education. Like if you want to learn about something, you have to do it. Nobody's going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see this like I see this like very real connection between Sufism and all of my work. Even though I don't like I don't do the five daily prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, like I I don't typically pray, but I really try to think about that idea of like. If you're committed to something, it has to be part of your life 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no point in my day where I'm not in some way thinking about my music or thinking about my education or thinking about my relationship with God. Mm. Um, that totally makes sense to me. I like yeah. that. It's like, so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess you're, you're, you're around Greg a whole lot. So. Oh, yeah. We're like best friends in the same <laughs> like, it's literally like that i'm like oh do you want to watch malcolm in the middle and we're i'm doing artwork and greg's composing at the same time or like when we go places like it'll be like oh i'll drive you can compose or i'll work on artwork while you drive and, mm-hmm. yeah we're always working on stuff dang yeah um what were some of your other like influences i guess um early on well my first major influence was weird al okay um, all right all right and- that's your cover photo right now right Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's this, the Thirty Rock yeah. uh, where Tracy's like, "You don't mess with Weird Al." Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that. But legitimately, like the great thing about Weird Al is like not that he's hilarious because he is hilarious. Mm-hmm. But what's really great about him is, um, how smart he is about the music because mm-hmm. he's not just he's not just like sitting down. And he's like, "Oh, I got this pe- joke about pizza or something," right? <laughs> he like. He takes the time to make sure, like, every sound in every song is exactly the way it yes. is on the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, like yeah, he like, his singing voice is, like, kind of silly. But, like, straight up, he can do ballads. He can rap. Yeah. He can sing. Like, every style that band does is tight. Yeah. It's super, super good. Yeah. And I've, I saw, I've seen Weird Al probably, like, five or six times. Mm-hmm. And every time, they're, like, on their marks all the time. And well, so, it seems like they can pick up stuff really fast. Too. Oh yeah, because they did like a thing with John Oliver on like no notice, and they wrote yeah. they wrote a song for him. Yeah, I mean that band like they work hard, and so that was like a great first example of like a really good musician yeah. for me. Um, and I know it sounds silly, but like, like I there I mean there are a lot of bands that I'll talk about in a second that have like had a huge impact on me, mm-hmm. but like Weird Al like started it. Dang, that's um, really cool and completely unexpected, but I love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah like from weird al like um i heard my first afi record when i was uh in third grade <laughs> um and it just like blew me away um um from there i got into like anti-flag yeah. um and before long you know it was all like fugazi refused the classic, blood brothers classic. uh queen the violent femmes okay. um i was always like trying to like you know grab really different things and try to put them together um and then um you know in high school i really got into charles mingus or nat coleman who are both jazz guys so is this where the other end comes in the like more classical side yeah um 
Well, yeah, and that, you know, from there, like I, uh, at first, I wasn't interested in composing or or like classical music, but um, uh, Pinkerton, my high school, offered mm-hmm. um, like a very well developed music theory track. Okay. Um, so it was like it was uh, four years of music theory. Oh wow. Um, and I just thought it was so interesting. Um, and eventually, uh, our our teacher, who I actually ended up dedicating my undergrad thesis to. Um, oh, okay. uh, he kind of like sat me down. He was like, you need to learn piano. You need to listen to like every classical composer you can. Cause you'd be really good at this. Holy crap. Uh, and <laughs> That's I was like, a lot of pressure though. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, okay. And, and <laughs> again, then, like, again, you follow the rule. Yeah. Follow what you're told. <laughs> and then the, the next day, like I, I called somebody to get piano lessons. Um, I started listening to classical music. I got way into, um, George Crumb, who's a modern composer. Okay. Um, Meredith Monk, um, you know, Philip Glass and Steve Reich were like really big for me. Um, Kurtog, um, you know, it just, I like really got into like contemporary classical music and started moving backwards. Um, and just kind of like really fell in love with like the whole spectrum of classical music. Um, that's awesome. All right. We're going to take a quick break from the chat with Greg to bring you a fun little advertisement for Chelsea's side business. Uh, Chelsea, Greg's fiance, uh, does amazing layout, illustration, and flyer work. If you are looking for any sort of person to do some design work for you as well, uh, Chelsea does this work under the name Boy Nirvana. If you just go to boynirvana.com, you can check out all of the kick-ass work that Chelsea has done. I'm, I'm flipping through it right now, and it is some really cool design work. Uh, Chelsea's already done some of the band's merchandise and even designed the the last uh, album artwork for Dereve's, uh Full Body Awareness EP. So if you want to check that out as well, you can find that on uh, uh, Uh Otherwise... If you need someone taking photos or doing any sort of design work, give give Chelsea a, a call uh, or, or an email. Um, Chelsea says that you can re- kind of pay whatever you 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 can afford or trade or whatever works for you. Uh, she just wants to make some design work that you are happy with and that she can be proud of and that we can. Uh, have some more awesome artwork in the world. Once again, it's Boy Nirvana, boynirvana.com. Let's get back to this chat with Greg. All right, so you mentioned when you bring a, a, something a, to be a part of your life, when you have something a part of your life, you want it to be there 24 hours a day. You want it to be omnipresent. Now, you're big on DIY punk ethics in the mm-hmm. scene, and I know that your band and the members of your band are always stressing that and talking about it and really when i first met you all was um the first time i had met people out here that were really like strict with it to a a very good degree not like we this runs our life but it was like this is how we make scenes better can you talk a little bit about what your first exposure was to like diy ethics and how did you start adapting them to your life yeah um well, my, I mean, my first band in high school was a ska band. Um, nice. and at the, at the time, like ska core in Northern New England was like a big deal. Yeah. Um, like all our shows like would have like 50, 60 people at them. That's awesome. Um, it was like wild and like, it was, it reminds me of like, 
um, I guess when you were going to UMass, like emo in mm-hmm. in New England especially was like off the hook, right? Emo is still very much off the hook. Yeah. I found my home. It is not alive in Oregon. It's not a, Oregon is not a big fan of emo. It's like jam bands and it's about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so my first band was like very DIY centric. Because I mean, at first we like, we didn't know what we were doing. Like the only like examples I had of, because I was 13. Yeah. The only examples I had of bands, I was like, I was like, oh, like, Anti-Flag plays, like, the House of Blues. Like, we should just go do that. You know, that kind of thing. And, like... It's that easy. Yeah. And, well, I, and I learned quickly that it's not. Um, <laughs> go figure. Um, but, you know, we would, like... The first couple of shows we did were, like, bar shows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where we had to, like, convince them to let us in, even though we were all, like, under 16. <laughs> um, and... Uh, once we started doing research, we were like, oh, there's a ton of ska bands mm-hmm. in town or, um, like, around the state. Um, so we kind of got, like, hooked up with them. Um, and that's where we learned, like, oh, you can just, like, call a place and ask if you can host a show there. Mm-hmm. Like, it might cost $100, but, like, if you bring 20 people in, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and so that made a lot of sense to me. And then instantly that, like, kind of, like, opened up my mind of, like, this idea that, like, oh, if I want to make something happen, I can just go do it. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't need to wait for somebody to do it for me. Thank you. Um <laughs> And, you know, from from there, it, it just kind of, like, blossomed into, like, all these different projects I could do that I could do by myself. Especially, like, with access to internet. It's so easy to really do anything. Right. Um, you know, when I hear these stories about, like, like bands, like, organizing tours, like, in the 70s and 80s, I'm like, that sucks. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, har- it's hard enough to do with with Facebook, which is the biggest network in the world, right? Like, And how did they get there? With yeah. maps? Yeah. What the hell is that? I know. I know. It's bullshit. Um, I'm so... We are so privileged yeah. with our technology. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm so excited about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, both... I, I was in two bands in high school, um, you know, that, that both broke up. Um, and a lot of it was based on me wanting to to be very serious about our work. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people like through no fault of their own, just having different interests. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all kind of like parted ways and then I went to college, uh, when like the first day one I met our guitarist mm-hmm. at, he was in my orientation group and I was like, Hey, let's start a band. Yeah. And then I was like, here's the rules. We're only playing all ages shows. Mm-hmm. Cause I was sick of like trying to get into these concerts that, that were like 18 up or 21 up. And yeah. it's, it was like insane. I remember... Um, like I have always looked much older than I actually am. Mm-hmm. Um, even like when I was like, cause you're what? Like 18 right now, right? Right. I'm 18. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All of this has happened in a very small yeah. gap of time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, even when I was in high school, um, people would be like, wow, you must've been held back a bunch of times. And I'm like, I'm 16. I'm a sophomore. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, um, but I hate. I remember this so specifically. I wanted to go see Silvermount Zion at the Middle East. Mm. Um, it was eighteen up, but I was like, I can probably get in. So I bought a ticket. They wouldn't let me in. And I remember like uh, standing like in the back at the back of the building with like, my ear pressed up to the mm-hmm. the the load in door, and I was able to hear like a little bit of what was going on. Um, but that sucked, and I was like, I never want to put anybody in that position. Yeah. Um, so. To my knowledge, uh, we just played our 250th show mm-hmm. last week. Um, and as far as I it's know... It's a huge achievement. Thank you. That's huge. Um, 
as far as I know, we've never played a non-All Ages show. Um, and when we have, um, our, our band is registered as an LLC, which I can talk about more. Mm. Um, but what we do is, if we're forced to play an All Ages show, you know, if it's in a town we've never been to and like that's all we can get, what I'll do is I'll, I'll post in the event, hey, this is all this is 21 up if you want to get in shoot me a message Mm -hmm. um and then we have like these little contracts that will um sign people up as employees of our llc ah um (laughs) that's amazing yeah yeah um that's amazing yeah it it works out really really well um so and this is totally legal as far as i know tight that's awesome we're Um, running with it (laughs) oh that's sick um so yeah so it was like only doing all ages shows. And then from there, it was like, what are the other things that that I can make happen as part of being in a band? Because I like fundamentally feel that like a band should be more than three or four people playing music. Because mm-hmm. I think it represents something more than just playing music. Because mm-hmm. just the act of like putting four people together and like creating something together is really, really special yeah. and very cool. Um, especially when it's like a serious collaborative process. Um and you've kept a pretty consistent core, like you, Paul, Paul, <laughs> have been pretty consistent yeah. uh, in the band. So the three of you have gotten real tight, I imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, years. like, when we're playing shows or practicing or whatever, like, one of them, like, makes a move. Like, we all know what it means, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you get from practicing, like, two or three times a week for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, and so, you know, from there... I we played our first show and I was like, you know, what would be really cool is like, especially going to Hampshire, I had like tons of friends who were writing poetry, doing artwork, writing essays. And I was like, they need a platform. So we decided to start a, a zine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it's called Derive Speaks, which is a play on um, the nation of Ulysses, Ulysses Speaks, mm-hmm. um, which was a play on Muhammad Speaks, which is the, <laughs> the, the magazine of the nation of Islam. Um, Everything's connected. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah and so and we still run it um we just printed our 19th issue i think um and i shared in one of the issues actually yeah Yeah. you're in issue number 10 i don't know why i know that number yeah that's awesome (laughs) but um yeah uh the idea is that like anybody who wants to contribute something as long as it's um like not racist or sexist or whatever Mm -hmm. um we'll print it and we pass them out for free um at all of our shows they're all online Mm -hmm. um yeah, and the, occasionally, like, I'll put an essay or something in it. Um, I've been doing that more lately. Um, so we started doing that. Um, and, you know, we always, when we meet other bands who are on tour, we always say, when you come through, get in touch with us, we'll book it. Mm-hmm. You know, because we want to we wanna help each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and over the past couple years, we've started um, running a scholarship yeah. for college students. Um, and the idea is, like, we play some fundraiser shows, raise some money, and then all we ask is that whoever wants to you can go into any type of post high school um education mm-hmm. so it can be like trade school um getting your ged um grad school undergrad doctorate whatever yeah. um write a short essay like between 250 500 words that just says here's how i was involved in diy art mm-hmm. here's what i um want to study in school here's how i think the two might be related to each other mm. and that's all you have to do it's one of the coolest things. Like when I first saw it announced, I was like, this is revolutionary. Like no, no bands are doing that. Like, no, like, like, like you too, isn't making like a, a scholarship fund 
for for students. I mean, Bono's out there doing humanitarian work, but whatever. But <laughs> it's not like huge eye roll. But it's not like straight up from members of the band being like, "Hey, we want to support your education." That's huge. Well, like, the, I mean, the th- the thing is that like we realized almost instantly that like the chances of this band like making money is like very low Mm -hmm. and i mean that's the reality for any band like it's so based on luck and like your image which like we don't care about Mm -hmm. so we're just gonna do our thing and then from there it's like because you're just a bunch of guys just just just, a bunch of just a bunch of dudes being dudes exactly (laughs) Um, but it's like i don't want my band to just be like yeah, we played the show, we took the money and left. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think... You're if, adamantly against that, right? Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without question. So our our big thing now is, like, every band at every show should be watching the show. Because mm-hmm. that's why you're there. Um, and, like, if you've got a problem with that, tough, don't play the show. Mm-hmm. But, like, the fact is, like, I started a band... Because I love music and I want to see other bands perform. Sometimes they suck. Mm-hmm. But I'll sit through every tortured second of it, yeah. you know? Um, and it, like, it pisses me off to no end when when bands, like, they show up and they're like, oh, like, we're going to stand outside and smoke. And then when it's our turn, we'll play a show. We won't mention the other bands. We won't talk to anybody. And then we take off, you know? Um, pe- people <sighs> want to talk about, like, starting a music community um and like oh our scene needs to be stronger and i always think like what does that actually mean like what do you actually want out of that because mm-hmm. what i think that usually means is people just want like a big click to hang out in mm-hmm. what i want is when a show happens i want everybody to be enthusiastically watching every band and supporting each other and then if i don't see them again until the next show i don't care mm-hmm. you know because i got shit to do mm-hmm. and i don't want it to be like this hangout thing like i want it to be I want to be like a space where like we all like support and like learn about each other's art. Exactly. As someone uh, in in my undergrad, I booked concerts nonstop for our. We we created a DIY concert booking student organization on on my campus at Oregon State, and it was the Oregon State Musicians Guild, the OSMG, and all we did was. I basically managed bookings for like 17 bands. So if an organization on campus was like, hey, we need bands for this this event that's going on, this outdoor barbecue or whatever, what bands can you send me? And I would reach out to the bands. I'm like, hey, who wants to play this gig? Blah, blah, blah. And I set up rules very early. Like if you're going to play this gig, you show up early or definitely on time, early is best. Um, you bring your gear uh, and you stay for the show. If you aren't staying for the show and if you aren't supporting other people, I'm not going to book you again. And if you have extenuating circumstances, like you, like someone needs to go to work or whatever, we can talk about that. But this can't be like a consistent thing. And it really, we developed over three years. We did like over a hundred shows, like booking just on campus and in like the smaller like college town that we were in. Uh, But we were able to develop a pretty good seen uh, with those expectations because i was holding people to them and people like learned that that was like don't don't cross craig because he won't book you and i'm like yeah that's right i won't yes and that's the thing is you want to follow the rules so you will get booked mm-hmm. so you will get shows because then they would get their music out there and they would sell some of their t-shirts that they had made in their basements i'm like yeah if you want 
people to hear your stuff show up and support other bands too. So when I would see members of other bands on off nights that they're not playing at gigs, I'm like, oh, sick. All right, they're supporting. Yeah. Good. I'm glad to see that. Like, I'll take that note and I'll probably reach out to your band next time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a lot of the, the scene and have, I mean, having toured across the country like four or five times at this yeah. point um you know every scene is like different but actually like very similar um in the sense that like there's a disproportionate amount of bands who think that the way to do it is like overprice all their merch mm-hmm. um and uh you know i i don't like the sense of going to a show and feeling like i'm at a mall yeah. or like i'm like they're trying to sell me something yeah and like I, i'll be like Straight up, like, Dreef has, like, a lot of merch. Like, we make t-shirts. We do what everybody else does. Yeah. But, like, our shirts cost us $4.50 to make. We sell them for 7 Yeah. You know? Because it's not, like... I'm not a I'm not a clothing salesman. Mm-hmm. Like, I play music, and that's what I do. Yeah. If people want the shirts, like, I'll make the shirts. Mm-hmm. But I'm not interested in gouging anybody. Yeah. Because um, it's, like, expensive enough to go anywhere right now. You know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, like, I got... Yeah. My record, What my new EP was pressed on vinyl mostly only because we did a Kickstarter for it. And mm-hmm. now since like, since it was paid for by people and not a label, I kind of will take whatever people have for it. Yeah. And like, even especially CD CDs are super easy to replace these days. Like you can get a, a batch of like a hundred and 200 for not a whole lot of money. And so like, like I played a gig last week and people were like, Hey, I really liked yourself. I don't have like any, cash or anyway i'm like just have a cd i don't care yeah. like as long i just want you to have the music like that's what matters to me most i also have a salary job so i don't have a lot to worry about there which yeah. makes a huge difference i get that but like even with the records i'm like i suggest 12 dollars. this is a 12 dollar record if you if 10 dollars is easier for you sweet here you go this is your record if seven is all you have in your wallet here this is your record like yeah. i want this to be something that you can have a tangible piece and if anything, it's always online. It's always yeah. online for free. Yeah. Always. I mean, um, it feels like so many like bands and like people who just go to shows, a lot of times it kind of feels like a costume party. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That's so real. <laughs> which, and it's, it's like, oh, like... It's like... All day. We talk about... My partner and I talk about this stuff too. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, um, like, oh, like there's like the punk guy, there's like the, the indie guy and like whatever... And, like, the best shows are always when people are just, like, being themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we talk about, our band talks about this a lot, um, but, like, Hattiesburg, Mississippi is mm-hmm. our favorite place to play in the country. Really? Um, part of that is, like, I don't know why, but they, they've just seemed to, like, taken to us there. Mm-hmm. But everybody at those shows is just so, like, authentic about who they are. Mm-hmm. And, like, nobody's trying to, like, front about, like, what kind of shit they're into, that's you know? That's great. Um, and that's what I want. You know, it sucks... Like, to go to a show and feel like, you know, I'm not, like, presenting, like, the correct way. There's this, um, there's this live Frank Zappa album that I really love, and I'm forgetting the title of it right now. But he stops, and he says the thing about the costumes, mm-hmm. where he's like, he's like, oh, is this a Halloween party, or is it a concert? Yeah. You know? Um, and it's, it's stupid. And, and you know, with, with this band, like, because we, like, really like to mix genres and, like, kind of play with people's mm-hmm. expectations, um, a lot of times I feel like, oh, you know, we're too too goofy for the hardcore kids and then we're too hardcore for the weird kids and you know and it's like i think a lot of people 
are too afraid to expand their boundaries mm. of listening and thinking. Mm. Um, so they just want the same thing day after day after day. And it's kind. Of, and then those. What's great is like like those same people will complain. They're like, "Oh yeah, man, you watch TV. You're just being like fed information." Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh really? What like crappy obscure hardcore band are you listening to now?" <laughs> like, you know, we we ran into. I'm not again not going to use names, but we ran into somebody who's in like a locally popular hardcore band today. Mm-hmm. Um, who once told me that he won't play shows with my band because we're not hardcore enough. Yeah. And I'm like... He didn't say anything to us, and we both have, like, done stuff with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he ignored us. But um, the, the the point is, like, he, you know, I don't want a show to just be, like, for hardcore bands or mm-hmm. for whatever bands. Like, yeah. I want it to be... the My favorite shows are always, like, oh, there was that, that like, Psycho Billy band, and then, like, we played, and then there's, like, a ska band, and then there's, like, another hardcore band or something, yeah. you know? Like, because I don't want to just be fed the same crap all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean, we, yeah. we've recently just booked a gig that we're, we're playing together at the Democracy Center. This is the first time we're sharing it, I guess, publicly, but hopefully we'll have flyers by the time this is up. But, like, it's you all, me, who does, like, acoustic spoken word folk punk with uh our friends in gaunt my friends in gauntly who are like emo yeah they're great like uh, like emo and then my friend janice ann's gonna do poetry during the night like it's gonna be a wonderful like a bunch of different kinds of stuff that you're gonna get that night yeah and that's that's how shows should be it shouldn't just be like i got so sick of playing gigs where we were my college band was a, a like a metalcore band and we got just plopped on a bunch of like metalcore bills and i'm like a lot of that stuff sounds the same to me. A lot of it just sounds like people doing the same things and it's not that interesting. And so, and granted, I could recognize that we were doing something similar. I'm like, I want, I like, like my favorite band during college was the Mars Volta. And I love the Mars Volta and I still do. And we did one, one time we did an intro for one of our songs. We did the, um, uh, Sonnet Lumiere or whatever, mm-hmm. the first song on De Laust. And what, that whole intro thing and then goes into one of our metal songs and it just like threw people off. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. this isn't a metal. Like, are you a metal band? Like, yes! But why does it matter? Like, we're just messing around with stuff. Yeah, you know, p- people need things to be in boxes. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's kind of like a cowardly way to look at the world. Mm, um, and I, don't, I don't have any patience for it. That's fair. You should tell them about, and I know this is a little off topic, but you should tell them about the wedding band we booked. It was like... Oh, uh, okay. So Chelsea and I are planning our wedding right now. <laughs> this is a very quick story. Um, cool. And um, um, yeah, I, I was talking to this band on the on the phone um, and I was like, will you learn um, like our first dance song? Um, and we chose a silver juice song. So it's going to take them a minute to learn. Yeah. Um, but she was, the lady straight up said to me, as long as it's not the Mars Volta. Yeah. I, I saw like, that. I was like, <laughs> okay. So I saw that and I was, I think even competent. Like, well, they're not my band. They're not my wedding band. Not- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause that's all I want. Is Mars Volta covers at my wedding. Yeah. Uh, no, Katie and I have been floating the idea of if and when or whatever we get married, we want to. There's a local uh, group of musicians that do live band emo and pop punk karaoke. Like, we just want to do that. Yeah, that, yeah, that would be really cool. Fun. Just for like everyone to just rock out and have a good time. Yeah. Now, uh, so, like you, you brought this up a little bit, but it's something that uh, I wanted to touch on too. Um, you identify outside of the gender binary, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and 
we're both kind of we're we're both queers in relationships that appear hetero and this is something that's always made me feel kind of weird even in like the queer community let alone like a punk community where people want to be like authentic and 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 present themselves as they are and how they how they feel they identify how does that like impact i guess your relationship or even your queer identity identities it- it can be a little weird sometimes, especially since we've been engaged. There are more days now where I feel like I internally like assume like the traditional like masculine <laughs> side of the relationship where I'm like, I'm the boyfriend or whatever, you know, um, which is not how I usually feel. Um, it, it can be weird going to like queer spaces and... uh I mean, I never really felt like I fit in as, like, mm-hmm. a queer kid. Even, like, I came out as, you know, non-binary. must have been three or four years ago mm-hmm. now. Um, and I never right really around felt... when I met you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was a very, like, weird time for me. Um, because there were, like, certain spaces that were, like, totally queer aligned. Mm-hmm. That would never book us. And I, I totally understood why. I had no beef with that. But what I did have beef with was once I came out all of a sudden they wanted to book us. Yeah. And I was like, I understand your intention and I support it and I have no problem with that. But I do feel weird that we're only getting booked based on my gender identity because mm-hmm. I want to get booked based on the music. Yeah. Um, so. I find it's uh, with our us getting married and stuff like that. I find that marriage is inherently... Like, it appears very hetero at times, especially yeah. to our families, who are not yeah. really... My mom does roller derby, and still the whole pronoun thing is, like, not something we've even approached. Yeah. And my mom, like, lives in a community where that's totally accepted. Yeah. You know, it works every day at a skate shop where that's, like, a thing. That's, um, that's super cool, though. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really funny one day. She's like, I keep messing up people's pronouns. I'm just... I'm the worst. And I was like, whoa, this is so surreal. Um, but... And my mom's young, but uh, I do find that... it will be hard because like certain family members not might not be able to understand the they them pronoun thing and then we'll i'll I'll be spending all day like discussing about greg using he him pronouns and Mm -hmm. then when i go to address greg i want to use they them and Mm -hmm. it kind of like can be tough or to some of our peers it may appear that we're very hetero but like i present very female but i feel more masculine at times most of the time honestly and they don't really credit that. <laughs> it's like really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, so. I like, I prefer they, them pronouns for myself. But I frankly, if people call me he, him, like I don't care. Because like the way I present, like for all intents and purposes, like I assume the privileges of a straight white cis dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel you that. Know? <laughs> um, I feel that a lot. <laughs> and so like if people mess up the pronouns... I, I don't care. It's not, it's not, it doesn't change. And this is just for me. This is just for me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, I don't, I don't care if they mess it up because it's not gonna, it doesn't change how I feel about myself. Yeah. Um, and we already had that conversation before we started this. I wanted to make sure that that was okay. Cause I oh, yeah. slipped oh, yeah. every now and again, but, um, I definitely, uh, identify in like, uh, having that, assumed privilege roles like i am very much a cis dude i recognize that i i do feel and uh navigate the world as a man and so it's not something i've ever really 
had to question in myself. So when I meet people who are confronting it on a daily basis, even my own partner, it's something that um, it reminds me that I'm never going to stop learning, uh, even about myself and about the people around me. And I think that that's beautiful. And I'm really glad that we have spaces and people in our punk spaces that are allowing that uh, understanding and education to grow. Um, Yeah. All right, it is time to take a quick break from the podcast so you can have some some music, a nice music break. Uh, you've already been listening to a whole bunch of music from the new Derive album, Instantly Black, The Goodness, but now I'm going to play you a full track, uninterrupted, without me talking over it, and it's a good one. It's called Diego Garcia. You can listen to the whole, e- the whole LP on Derive's Bandcamp, Derive, D-E-R-I-V-E. It looks like Derive, but it's Derive.Bandcamp.com. That is the only place they put their music online. You're not going to find their stuff on Spotify. You can download it there for free if you want to listen to it or just stream it. You can also get a cassette. You can also get uh, 12-inch black clear haze vinyl, which I've already pre-ordered, uh, or you can get all sorts of bundles. It's wonderful. Uh, I am really excited because this is another release from uh, the band's uh, drummer's new record label called Howling Frequency, and it is really great to see something have started from really nothing to be Uh, a a label that is releasing a bunch of great music right now. The drummer of the band, Paul de Grand Prix, uh, created this label so that he could put out music from his friends' bands. And it's awesome. It's really great. The the work that uh, he's doing to support a bunch of new acts that are putting out great music. I've already got the new uh, Space Camp album as well as the new Perennials album. Make sure to check those out. Uh, you can find them on uh, all, all sorts of social media. It's just Howling Frequency Records. Okay, Howling Frequency Records. That's where you find it on Facebook uh, and on uh, Bandcamp as well. It's just howlingfrequency.bandcamp.com. Paul's new band, uh, it's a sludge band, is putting out its new album, Chained at the Bottom of the Ocean, at the end of this week, but you can already stream it online. Um, and if you want to check out more from Perennial, uh, from Space Camp, go to howlingfrequency.bandcamp.com. And if you want to hear more from this Derive album, Holy crap, it's amazing. Go to derive.bandcamp.com and now here's their song, Diego Garcia.
All right, let's finish up this chat with Greg Nahabedian. All right, so you teach piano to kids or young adults? Well, everybody. Everybody. You teach it to everybody. What's it like teaching piano these days? Is it a lost art? No. Okay. No, not at all. Um, all right, question done. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, piano teachers are a dime a dozen, like, to, to be totally honest. Mm-hmm. Um but I I love teaching. Um, most of my students are um, you know young children, um, and it's like very um, it's really really special to be there when they like first experience and like think about music. Mm. Uh, my big thing is like I want I want kids to learn their Beethovens and their Mozarts and their Debussy's and like whatever. But I also want them to learn like jazz and like rock and whatever they whatever. I want them to have like a broad range of music, but what is really important to me is so I give all of my students listening assignments every week. Okay. Um, so it might be like, go listen to Beethoven's eighth, or it might be, um, I have one student who is, he's in seventh grade and he's all about Fugazi now. Oh, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> so it's really important for me to give everybody things to listen to, come back and discuss it. Cause I know, and this isn't a dig to any of my students, but I'm very well aware that most of them are not going to become professional musicians. Mm -hmm. um, And that's totally fine. And they probably might not play piano when they're done taking lessons with me. But what's really important to me is that when that part of their life is over, I want them to be able to listen to music and think critically about it and have like a really special relationship with listening. Mm. That's really cool. You're giving them some tools to like, even if they're not going to like become this big wig music person they're at least like the next time they hear like a song that they really like they'll pick apart why they like that song that they really like yeah yeah i mean i want i don't want them to just say like hey i like this song Mm -hmm. you know i want it to be like like you know um like the break in like um like epic problem by fugazi Mm -hmm. like is so exciting for me Mm -hmm. or like um, like the second movement of Beethoven's seventh is like, it like breaks my heart, yeah. um, because of like this, you know, um, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. Now tell me a little bit about the new Derive album. Um, it's called instantly black. The goodness, the goodness. Yeah. Uh, it seems like you've been creating nonstop for, yeah. for a while. And this is to my knowledge, this is your second LP second full length. Um, yeah, so we technically, did, yeah, well, we did our first in 2013. Yeah. Um, and since then have been releasing just a lot of EPs. Yeah. Like short projects. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we decided like from the get go that we didn't want our band to be something that was like, we're going to write like once a year, mm-hmm. play a bunch of shows where we never rehearse. Um, and then we'll write again next year. Yeah. Um, you know, Every practice we go into, it's always writing, always experimenting with new things. Because um, we all love bands that have, like, a huge catalog. Mm-hmm. Like, one of my favorite bands is The Fall. Mm-hmm. And they have, I don't know, like, 50 or 60 full lengths. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's awesome. Like, you're never going to listen to it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it. Um, so I, I always want to be, like, working and writing. Um, I have, like, a lot of skepticism about the album cycle. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. You know, like in two years like we'll release the next one and it all a lot of times it feels to me like the bands are waiting two years to actually write anything Mm -hmm. and you know you and i were talking about me without you earlier Mm -hmm. um you see a band like that or like afi or um 
I don't know, even like title fight, mm-hmm. like they might wait a bit between records, which is fine, but every record sounds way different. Yeah. And you know that's because those two years, they're not just like fucking around. Mm-hmm. They're working on the songs all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Um, the Fiery Furnaces are my favorite band. Yeah. Um, and every record by them is like a total left turn. Um, now, what do you feel makes this album stand out uh, in terms of perhaps the difference in to the rest of your catalog? Um, I think this one, um, I think the hardcore parts are more intense. Okay. But I think the sort of like indie dance stuff is is more groovy. And, yeah. um, and that is something yeah. that's really wonderful about the dynamism of the band is there can be moments where you're like moshing for like... 15 seconds and then you're dancing and you're like ready to groove and then you're moshing again like it's just it's like non-stop like lefts and rights yeah well we want to do i mean so our our, the name of our i don't want to get uh go on a long speech here but the name derive is from the situationist international who had this they were talking a lot about this field they called psychogeography which is the study of how urban environments affect psychology okay and so the derive was um translates in french to drift um the derive was like this experiment um kind of like urban exploration i guess where they would kind of sit it's more like a philosophical like spiritual thing where they send you out into the city and you just wander aimlessly and record your experiences um and the slogan that like it like hit me like a fucking bombshell when I read it was rapid passage through varied ambiences. Okay. And I was like, that's what I want my band to be. Yeah. Um, but then the, the trick is to do it in a really cohesive sense, which I think we finally like really, really nailed on this record. Um, in the, I think some of our very early songs were like, this is the doo-wop section. This is the hardcore section. Like now we'll add saxophone. And like, um, it was just kind of like, like throwing everything at the canvas. Um, but I think this new record is, like, really tight. I think it's, like, weirder than our other records, but also, like, more streamlined. Yeah. Well, I went through it the other... Because uh, it came out uh, when we were recording this just, like, a couple of days ago. And I went through it in my office. And I... Uh, my office has, like, a big open window that goes into our, like, overhang in our campus center. And I could just... And I was, like, the only one really around. So I just had it blasting. And I just <laughs> heard it, could hear it just bouncing off of these walls. And, like, this is... This is heaven to me right now. I'm loving just all the different types of noise because as someone with ADHD, it actually kind of helps to have music that mm. is not monotonous because I need something to like keep me entertained and keep me going. And so the fact that there's like not a whole lot of lulls or that the lulls are incredibly sustained, it just keeps it keeps the listener like alive, I feel. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. That's really great. Um yeah, I think we're all, like, really, really happy with the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's coming out on Paul's new label, right? Yeah, so our drummer, Paul the Grand Prix, um, started a label called Howling Frequency. Yeah. Um, um, which, I mean, was primarily, I think there are, like, a lot of bands he wanted to help out. But um, we have been frustrated by the lack of label attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, at one point we were just like, fuck it, like, let's just do it ourselves instead yeah, of waiting. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, he's been at the the forefront of that i'm like very not involved mm-hmm. um but he's they but the, on howling frequencies paul's already released the new perennials album uh space as well camp. as space camp i have i got both of those records ordered them uh and putting out the 
New Dreve album. Yeah, and then he's also done, um, there's this band from South Carolina called Lull. Okay. Um, and his other band, Change at the Bottom of the Ocean, okay. has a record coming out, um, I believe, in two weeks. Cool. So I got the stickers with, uh, of that with the, with the album. Yeah. Change at the Bottom of the Ocean. I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, I wasn't familiar that that was another thing that was happening tight. Yeah, I think, um, as far as I know, he's on schedule to release something, like, basically every month. Nice. Um, but I, I'm frankly not sure. I, I, I don't have the keys to the, yeah, to the yeah. mind of Howling Frequency. Yeah, no, that's great, though. But, <laughs> but it's really great, that, but it sticks true to your, your band's entire mission and vision, which was if no one's going to... No one's going to do it for you. So sometimes you got to do it yourself. And, yeah. Uh, was getting label attention something you wanted? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely... I won't say no to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't say no to working with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like... It's got to be the right relationship, though. I'm it's got to be the right relationship. And, like, we, we want to, you know, have the record deal. We want to have... I mean, if we were playing, like, big clubs, like, we would like to do that under our <clears throat> conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, I think that's better and safer. But, um, yeah, I mean, we would love to work with somebody. Um, it's just a matter... You know, it's like... Music is such a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes bands blow up for no reason, and sometimes they just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the meantime, like, we're just going to do our thing. And mm-hmm. if somebody wants to release something for us, then that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, you've already booked, what, four national tours just on yourself, on your own, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like, that takes, in and of itself, so much patience and determination and... The fact that you're even willing to do that is a huge homage to the work that you guys are doing. So Thank you. don't stop. Don't do that. Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we'll, we'll, we'll close this up with a, a quick question on like kind of where do we go from here and making sure that scenes stay inclusive and safe and comfortable for comfortable for the people in them who want to join them mm-hmm. um, and kind of like why are DIY DIY spaces so important right now? Okay. Um, well, I think DIY spaces are important because um, in a world where you basically need to drink to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, Which we also haven't touched on a whole lot except for the, the kiss Coke joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we, we like to play clean shows as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm totally fine if people want to drink at our shows as long as it's done like safely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that they're not getting anybody into like danger or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think DIY, DIY scenes are important because I think everybody needs a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, a lot of times I think there's this inappropriate um, assumption that if it's a DIY scene, it must be super inclusive, mm-hmm. which is not true. Sometimes DIY scenes are more exclusive than anything else. Okay. Um, but I think it's really important that people have this outlet to learn that they have power to create things. Um, You know, it starts at like, oh, I can book a show and it goes to, oh, I can also like picket my local politician. Mm -hmm. You know, I can do all this stuff by Mm -hmm. myself. So I think that's really important. Um, And I think also the music industry needs to be constantly reminded that like, the people who think they have the power don't necessarily always have the power. Um, if you want to make scenes more inclusive and more safe, the first thing you do is um, when you're at a show, 
and you see somebody you don't recognize, go say hi. Mm -hmm. Um, It might be their first time. Um, So you should go talk to them and make sure that they feel like, oh, this is a cool space that I can come back to. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're booking the bands, be diverse without tokenizing people. Mm -hmm. Um, So everybody feels represented. Um, Making spaces accessible. Oh, yeah, make them accessible. So, um, you know, try your best to find a space where, like, um it's handicap accessible handicapped accessible post that information mm-hmm. on our last tour we posted the handicapped information for every show yeah. it ended up not being something we needed to do just by circumstance mm-hmm. but it's important that like if you're in a wheelchair you don't want to go all the way out to the show and then find out i can't get in yeah exactly um which if you've listened through the podcast my chat with cassie wilson of half access um is helping develop a database of venues that are uh uh accessible and if not like notice like keeping track of the areas that are or how they can make accommodations for it so um if you're out there and you're in a random city get in touch with cassie in the show notes and you can help keep track of your venues in your city that's awesome i'm doing it here in boston so yeah that's so awesome um yeah so i mean those are some things you can do also you know basement shows are great but most of the basement shows have, like, super dangerous access points. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know why that's a thing. Because um, it, like, exclusively seems to be in, like, punk houses. Um, but that's that's fine. It's just, it's just dangerous. Um, also, they're so dusty that if you have, like, even a mild amount of allergies, like, forget about going in there. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so that's why in sometimes, like, we really prefer to play, like community spaces like art galleries or like places like the flywheel in east hampton or the democracy center in cambridge mm-hmm. um or like even like a coffee shop that will like be accommodating for a punk show mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff i think is super important um especially like house house shows are awesome i love house shows but they tend to be more exclusive than other spaces mm. because typically the house shows are like for people who are friends of the owner yeah um and to be fair, a lot of houses are not like that. Um, another shout out to Hattiesburg. Everybody goes to the house shows in Hattiesburg. That's awesome. Um, and they'll always have like new faces showing up. That's um, really cool to hear. So, yeah, that's a little bit about DIY spaces. Tight. Well, thank you for all of that. Now let's wrap this whole thing up with a lightning round. The lightning round. The lightning round. <laughs> all right. Just a few quick questions. Okay. About you as a person and the things you enjoy. I also just like to get a little extra side of you. Favorite book? Um, the book I've been thinking about the most lately is Blood and Guts in High School by Kathy Acker. I mean, also, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. But, um, <laughs> Chelsea's pointing to my one ring tattoo. But, um, but yeah, Blood and Guts in High School. Um, nice. I think it really warped my perception of the way I thought about storytelling cool so high recommend nice I'll, I'll throw that in the show notes uh color um lately i'm into like soft pinks nice the aesthetic man yeah that's what that's what a lot of <laughs> folks are going with these days um uh, what about food all right my favorite food is called grumbo grumbo now, when what I, all right here's the thing uh when i was in college i did not know what gumbo was okay and one night i was like 
I'm gonna make a gumbo. <laughs> but I did not look up anything about it, so I basically just threw a bunch of shit in a pot and cooked it. Um, and then I actually found out what gumbo is, and I was like, this is called grumbo. Oh, nice. So it's so it's Greg's gumbo. Um, it's a uh, rice, a lot of curry powder, uh, frozen vegetables, onions cooked a specific way that Greg's very particular about, <laughs> freshly cut garlic. Greg has been known to throw Sour Patch Kids in. And M&M's? Every once in a while, you know, we get crazy. Um, sometimes craisins. You threaten me with it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry, sorry to clarify. That. So it's not necessarily something you look forward to. And rice or couscous, and you've been on a pasta kick before, too. This is true. That's fair. But you're, you're also vegan, right? I am vegan. There you go. Okay, so it has to all fall under that umbrella as well. Right. All right, favorite movie. Um, favorite movie, um, might be Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. <laughs> Chelsea's sighing and shaking her head at me. <laughs> but, but Boogie Nights is like, for people who don't know about it, it's about porn in the late mm-hmm. 70s. Um, it stars Mark Wahlberg. Um, it's by Paul Thomas Anderson, who is the best. Um, and it's like a really beautiful and like hilarious portrayal of like, it's kind of like a love letter to filmmaking. Yeah. Um, there's this really beautiful scene when Mark Wahlberg's character, Dirk Diggler. Um, uh, Which is a great name. Yeah. Uh, when he's like shooting his first scene. They don't actually show the sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the camera that we're viewing through zooms in on the camera they're filming it with. Mm-hmm. And it goes inside the camera and shows like all the mechanics oh. of how it works. Um, the whole movie is like really beautiful and sensitive. Um and I, like, th- literally the first time I watched it, it, like, rolled to the credits, and I was like, we're watching this again. Yeah! Like, I was alone. I was just like, I gotta watch it again. <laughs> it's very intense, though, so you might want to read, like, a wiki on it real quick before you watch it, because I was not anticipating it. It, it can be a little intense, thank you. No, no, I just wanted to say that, because when I saw it, I was like, whoa. Yeah. What about a TV show? Uh, my favorite TV show, um, A Fight Between Frasier and the X-Files. Okay. Nice. Uh, what about composer? Um, I'm going to go with Meredith Monk. Okay. Anything specific you think people should listen to? Um, she has an opera that has no words. It's called Atlas. Okay. It's all like mouth driven, so just like mouth noises. Yeah. Oh, that's it's cool. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's definitely try to find a video of it because okay. um, she's also um, a dancer. Okay um very movement driven um yeah it's it's i can't say enough good things about it nice i'll put that in the show notes as well all right now potato chip or chip all right i'm glad you specified just chip because i'm going with a corn chip (laughs) uh here's what you got to do you go to a gas station, right. you get barbecue Fritos, not honey barbecue Fritos, okay. but just barbecue. They do not sell them in New England, as far as I know. So you gotta fucking travel for this shit. But it is so worth it. <laughs> the barbecue Frito? It's yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Literally, I like try to plan our tours around places that I know sell them. <laughs> uh, Isn't a lie actually true. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, you could just stock up. We should just order them online. I know, I know, I know. There's, but there's like, it's kind of fun to be like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had my fix in a while. Like, I gotta get, 
I gotta get some BBQs in me, you know? <laughs> and then, like, you walk into the gas station or the convenience store, you're like, I don't know if they're gonna have the Fritos. And then you see them, like, gleaming in the in the, the fluorescent lights, yeah. like, from across the aisle. And, like, your heart just stops. And you're like, I need them in my mouth right now. That's amazing. That's the one. There she is. <laughs> <Gee>. <laughs> Do you want to marry the Fritos? <laughs> <laughs> is that just gonna be the centerpiece at the wedding? Just a bunch of Fritos? <gasps> don't! You've already got... <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. I did oh, it. There's so many things I've had to cross off the list. <laughs> I love you. Well, Greg uh, and Chelsea, thanks for hanging out with me today. And thanks for having this chat. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Ah, oh, what a great chat. That was a lot of fun. I like when people come over to my place and hang out with me and chat about awesome queer stuff and DIY stuff. It makes me feel just great. Fills me with a lot of excitement and a lot of uh, energy. And I, I love these types of conversations. I'm so glad that I get to have them. I'm so thankful for Greg and Chelsea coming over to hang out with me and chat about all things uh, really in the music realm and in the queer realm. is so great. So great to have them. Again, if you like what you hear uh, from Derive's music, uh, check them out at derive.bandcamp.com. If you want to get some of Chelsea's artwork or you want Chelsea to make some artwork for you, go to boynirvana.com. And if you like what you heard from this podcast, uh, please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. And spread the word about the EduPunks podcast. You can find it on uh, Instagram and Twitter at uh, EduPunks Pod, E D U P O N X Pod. And you can follow me at Craig Bidedman, C R I G B I D I D M A N. And yeah, I don't have a whole lot extra. Uh, not a lot going on for me. The school year's picking up, it's pretty busy right now. And that's kind of my life. These days is a lot of school and a lot of working with students. It's fun. All right, I'm going to leave you with one more song from the new Derive album, Instantly Black, The Goodness. It is called Rust in August. And I'll see you next time. Let's get to work. August has me tied up in the trunk of a speeding car. I